0: Was that? It was. It was good. I, I stayed home and stayed in the snow. <laughs> Enjoyed the beautiful snowy weather that we had. Um, as you can tell, I decided we got a new year coming, so we might as well go back to the beginning. Um, there's so much that goes on, and we all have so many questions, and we ask so many things, and all the answers actually lie in the book of Genesis. See, uh... I think there's no better place to start with the new year coming. I mean, really, how many of us have seen out there today with everything going on, we always ask ourselves, look, is God real? Why does he do something? You know, Why is there so much evil? Why is all this going on? And that's the questions everybody starts asking. And Genesis is rightly called the book of origins, and that's what it is, because it explains to us um, the beginning of many, many things. Uh, Genesis also chronicles the beginning of the universe. We are actually going to talk today of what... Kind of an introduction to Genesis, but we're going to talk a lot about biblical creation against evolution. Um, it also tells us the beginning of man, the origin of sin, which is that's the bad news in Genesis. and We're yeah. going to get to that. I will say it's always difficult for me to, uh, as I'm reading Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then I get to 3, it's always so difficult for me to see this fall, when I see previously all this beautiful stuff that God created, and and then it gets all messed up. And as I was studying Genesis this week, well, for a while, I got to think about how studying this book actually changes our view on many, many things. If you actually study Genesis, it'll change your view. I want to put on the screen some things that that I came up with that I think it changes our view. This is why we study Genesis. It affects how we view our world. Think about it. One of the things that we see in the book of Genesis is that God created the heaven and the earth, and he gave the earth to man. Now, that's not a very popular saying to say today. Think about it. Isn't there all these earth groups out there? I'm not saying anything bad about them. I think it's great that we want to take care of our planet. But today, if you tell them the earth was given to man... Believe me, they would choose the oak tree over you. You know what I'm talking about? It's true, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to take care of our planet. But see, they have a backwards. See, the earth was given to man, but they have it to where, believe me, if it was between you and the, the fish in the sea, you would be lost. So it affects how we view things. See, we see in Genesis, they God created the world for us. And actually, when you look at its temperature and its design and how everything's made... Even down to the system of the man's rule, you can tell that all the earth was made for man. We also see in the book of Genesis that we're living in a fallen world. We all know this. Uh, But that changes our view also on how we view other things. Um, The second thing it affects is it affects how we view ourselves. We realize that we are also affected by that fall, right? So many times, I hear this in movies a lot and and people use, well, people are basically good. How many times do we hear that? Even in movies, you know, did you watch any Hallmark movies over the holidays? people, (laughs) People are, I've come to realize that, you know, man is basically good. That's what we hear all the time. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, that's The Bible teaches that man is what? Essentially evil, right? (laughs) We're not good. If we're left to our own device, we are not going to do good things. So, and actually Jesus went on to reiterate that in the Gospels where he said that what? There is no one good but who? But God. And we are not basically good. We get that from the Scriptures. So, this all happens... And it finds it starting, all of this, in Genesis. The book of Genesis helps us make sense of other references that we have in related to the Bible of our fallen condition. When we understand that, we can view it. If Think about this. If we didn't have the book of Genesis, if we did not have this book, we would have to constantly ask, where did all this come from? Where did all this evil come from? Where did sin come from? Where did all of this... Broken world and all this. Where did it all come from? If we didn't have the book of Genesis, that would be a question that we'd have to ask. But we also know from the book of Genesis that while we are fallen because of sin, here's something really interesting, is we also know that we're created in the image of God. And although I think some people misunderstand that, to mean, you know, we look like God or that we are essentially equal with God because we're made in His image. That's Unfortunately, that's not true. That, to mean that we're made, created in the image of God means that we are given his, his, his nature, His love, His... Let me put it this way. Nowhere else in Scripture does it say that about any other any other creature. It doesn't say that about the angels. It doesn't say the angels were created in the image of and that's a hard thing to wrap our heads around that we're created in the image of God yet we're fallen, here's crazy we're created in the image of God but yet we're fallen and separated by sin that's, think about us. That's, that's hard so God says you're created in my image but because of sin we're separated and that's a hard thing, And people have talked about that for years, but all of the understanding of these things we find in Genesis also it affects how we view others and this is the important Because when we read through the book of Genesis, I realize that it's not just me who's fallen into sin, right? It's everybody else. It's everybody else. And I will tell you, when you understand that, loved ones, it will change how you view people. It will. You won't run around no more going, did you see what she did? I can't believe that. Like you would never do something like that. When we understand it from the book of Genesis, we no longer try to let ourselves off the hook. Because I think that's what we do, right? We we like to let ourselves off the hook and put a little more expectation on the other person. That's, That's us. That's human. You know, people will get so angry at what somebody else does, but they will excuse themselves for the exact same things. And that's played out every single day. You know how we play out that the biggest? Every single day that's played out in our lives when we withhold forgiveness from a brother. Think about it. When I say to someone who has hurt me, I will not forgive you, what I'm doing is excusing myself and charging them. I'll explain what I mean by that. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm just as guilty or worse as they are. Right? See, we like to have this hierarchy of sin. And that's what Genesis is going to lay out for us. We like to believe that one sin is higher than the other. But, I, you know, I look all through the scriptures and I can't find them. Nowhere. So what we like to do is we'll withhold forgiveness because you hurt me. Basically is, I'm going to excuse myself and I'm just going to basically charge you for what you did. Even though... What I did yesterday was probably just as evil. But when we see the lives of others in the shadow of the book of Genesis and the origin of sin and understanding, it changes our view. It does. It is not a view of defeatism. I want to say that right now. It's not a view of defeatism. But it is a view of realism. We realize that through the eyes of Genesis... We're all in this together. No one's better than anybody. We're all in this together. We understand, here's why I wrote this. I said, we understand the depth of depravity that comes upon every person who was born of a woman. We understand what the
1: depth of sin does to every person. Every
0: person. Because of the book of Genesis, we can look at people with a biblical view instead of our own earthly view. And when we do that, I'm telling you, I said, you know what, biblically, sin is the great equalizer. It is. Sin equalizes all of us. Because I believe the Bible said somewhere in Scripture something about all have sinned and fallen short. Does it say that somewhere in there? So it says all, right? It doesn't say all but me. It doesn't say all but you. It says all. Sin is the great equalizer. It realizes through the book of Genesis we can all understand we are all in this together. And that's how we view each other. When I try to excuse myself and make excuses, what I'm really doing is I'm really... I'm elevating me and I'm lowering you. When I say I'm not going to forgive you for what you did, and I charge you because you know what—I don't want to forgive you because I'm better. You're lower than me. See, Genesis doesn't allow that. Genesis equalizes the playing field. We're all in this together. And when, we can, here's when people come to me and confess sin, to me, when they confess their sins to me, because of my view through the Bible, my heart actually breaks. It really does and and because i remember the depth of my own depravity i do when people are talking and confessing sins to me i know that i'm one choice away from being right there myself and i realize the own depth of my own depravity that if it wasn't for jesus i would be right there with you and on some days i am you cannot believe the bible And say someone is inferior to you. I'm going to say that again. You cannot believe the Bible. And then think someone is inferior to you. You cannot do it. We come from the same place right? Also I'll say this. And I want to touch on this. Because Genesis is a great point on this. You cannot believe in the Bible. And then also believe another race is superior. Think about it. Because the Bible teaches otherwise. You cannot believe in the Bible and think that this race is better than this race. So, guess what? The Bible does not teach racism; it teaches equalism. Equal. When I hear people, I've actually talked to people who have said things like, "Oh, you know, this race, because of what the Bible says, they're they're better than this one." And I talk to them all the time, and I I really, I looked at them and said, "Have you ever even actually opened your Bible?" They get so mad at me. I'm like, have you ever really opened? Have you read the pages? Or do you use it as like some crutch to push your own agenda? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, how about open it? And how about read the book of Genesis? Well, you know, if you go to, I said, no, go to Genesis. Because it is the great equalizer. There is no one better. We are all in it together. Everyone. If we could, if we would see through the eyes of Genesis, so many things in our world would be different. And we'll talk about why we don't. Um, what the Bible, I think, should do to you and I is our hearts should break. It should make our hearts break when we see somebody else struggling. I think because when we understand we're all caught up in this together, when we see another brother struggling, it should, it, we should have compassion. It should actually break our hearts. We should feel it ourselves. Before I get you lastly... It affects how we view the rest of the Bible. I mean, think about it, Genesis chapter three is such a pivotal chapter, right? I mean, perfect, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Bam, Chapter three. I can't wait till we get to chapter three. From that single event in the Bible, from that single event in the Bible which we're going to we' are going to crawl, I'm going to say this right now, we are going to crawl our way through the entire book of Genesis. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I think Chris said it's going to take, well, um, three years. (laughs) We will be crawling our way through all the pages of this scripture. And here's what I love about it. If you read Genesis, and how many of you are on our Revelation study? We have quite a few here for that. We read Genesis and we read chapter 3 and we see the fall. But that's the beauty of Revelation now because we see everything made new. So we see the plan going through it. But uh, before you ever get to Revelation, there's 66 other books. So I can keep going, but I'll talk about a few other things. I will say this, too. You know, we've been working... We're we're kind of in this middle time. It's it's a tough period, right? We're like after the cross, but before glory. And it's a difficult... That's a difficult place to be. Be honest with yourselves. It's difficult to be in this... That's where God has us. But it's difficult... It's not easy. I, I, I have yet to see a Christian who has a beautiful, easy life. And you know what? It, it, it's because we, I think we base everything on happiness. I heard that this morning. Happiness. Isn't that the what's the world looking for? Happiness. Isn't every, the pursuit of happiness. How many books are out there about how to get happy? You know, oh, I need to pursue happiness. I've always said, you go into your basement, stay there, and when you find happiness, come let me know. You, you won't ever be out but I think Christians, we get, we get sucked up in this too. Because we're like, well, you know what? I'm a Christian and I want to be happy. I wanna I wanna I'm not saying anything's wrong with going on vacations, but we'll do anything we can to make ourselves happy, right? I'm gonna go to Disney World, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna buy that, I need to do that. I wanna be happy because i feel happy. We get sucked up in that. The problem is, happiness is temporary. We as Christians have something better. Genesis is gonna show. We have the joy of the Lord. That is not happiness. I want to make that clear. Joy of the Lord and happiness are not the same thing. Because you know what? I've seen Christians who are completely not happy going through the worst thing you could ever think in their life. But they have the joy of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And that's so much better than happiness. But the world has us. We need to be happy. And that's where we struggle. And it's a hard part. That's, that's where we live now. It's kind of like our address. And I'll tell you this too all the things around us are troubling, aren't they? Yeah. Would you agree that everything around us is very troubling, or maybe even troublesome? It, it is. I, I look around us. It's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. This is the day of faith, loved ones. It is. It, this is the day of faith. After the cross, before glory, it is the day of faith. Because this is where we have to put our faith in God. We have to and walk through and persevere every day, every single day. You know, the Bible uses that word persevere more than almost any other word in Scripture. And we have, but we're here. We're right here. This is where God has us. You ever thought about that? This is where God has you right now, right here. And, we, and we're just like, I don't know why I'm here. We're going to find out that everybody's point at a certain point is here by God for a purpose. There's a reason that you're here right now. There's a reason that you're walking and living after the cross and before glory. There's a reason for it. I'll say this though. Isn't it a good thing we have each other? Amen. Amen about, it. you know, my heart sometimes breaks for Christians who, who are born-again believers, but they kind of exist outside of the family. Think of, you, know, you know anybody like that? Born-again believers are Christians, but they kind of exist outside. They don't, they don't really go to church. They kind of stay to themselves. My heart breaks for that. Because we were meant to come together. We are. I mean, and we were never meant to put on facades either. That's the big thing. We were never meant to put on facades, as we do so much in churches. Think about it. When we see one another, when we come to church and we ask this question, how are you doing? Everybody's like, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Even though, inside, you're about to crack. We don't like to let people know these things. We like to keep it to ourselves. You know why we do that? Because they think my faith isn't strong enough or I'm not spiritual enough because i got something going on. We were never meant to put on facades. Genesis is the equalizer, it takes that away. Also, so I think we should do this when people pass by, you because it's like a comment, it's like our hello nowadays, isn't it? It's like, how how you doing? That's a hello to us, how you doing? Everybody answers the same way. I'm doing all right, oh, that's a good day. How about we answer that truthfully? How many people would stop asking you how you're doing? (laughs) somebody comes around you and goes, hi, how you doing? And say, well, let's sit down.
1: <laughs> but
0: that's, that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be hiding. We shouldn't be pretending. You know, we try to pretend that this world's a fun place, too. Don't we? We do. We try to pretend that this world's a great, fun place. It's a fun place to live, Right? see anybody agree with me on that but Jesus told us in this life and this is what I think we forget, in this life we'll have trouble we will have trouble okay, but yet we try to, we try to make it look fun we will try to uh, we'll, paint this, we'll paint right over the trouble, right we'll take our little paint and paint right over it we want to make it look fun social media woo! happiness, that's what we want We want happiness. Do you know what the pursuit of happiness actually does to somebody? Well, the pursuit of happiness actually makes you sick. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Sad? Sick? Defeated? defeated. It does. The pursuit of happiness will make you sick. The more you pursue happiness, which, by the way, happiness is a superficial thing. Ever thought about that? It's kind of superficial. But... The more you, per- you pursue after happiness, the more it will make you emotionally sick. Because you can't get it or when you do get it, it leaves. And then you pursue it again. And you pursue it again. And it emotionally destroys you. That's what the pursuit of happiness. Loved ones, the real joy is in the Lord. That's what it is. And you see right now, this world is going in like a toilet bowl. It's spinning around and around, going deeper and deeper. Right? But that's the opposite of what everyone wants to tell you. And I'm not saying that to be depressing, but the Bible tells us things are going to get worse. It does. It doesn't lie to us. And we can try, like I said, to paint a picture over top of that scripture and make it, make it all fun and pretty, but the truth of the matter is, it's not going to get better. This is where the questions come in. This is where Genesis is gonna help us. I tell you, I'm so glad I'm glad and I'm thankful and I pray every day that the Lord gave us his word to hold on to. Yeah. You know, because if we if we didn't have, if we had none of this, could you imagine facing this like today if we had none of this? Let's say this was nowhere in the world, how would our world be now? You think it's bad now? Man, if we were allowed to do what if we just had our own free reign with our depraved hearts and just out there, I could I you, Imagine. All right, all that. So let's get started. I'll have a backdrop of Genesis. Genesis one one. We won't get very far today. <laughs> in the beginning, God created. We'll stop right there. And that's as far as we have to go to understand what is going on in the world. Because that statement has created more dismay than any other statement ever spoken. In the beginning, God created. Now, simply and straightforwardly, the Bible declares to us the world did not somehow create itself. It did not occur by chance, it was created by God, right? And I love that the Bible starts off with this. I love that the Bible starts off with that statement. Also, by the way, do you guys know the Bible never, ever tries to prove that God exists? Nowhere. The Bible doesn't give us any evidence that God exists. Why? Because He exists. There's no reason to try to prove it. But His creation will do some things for us. Now, if you stumble, I say, if you stumble over that first statement in the book of Genesis, if you doubt if you kind of have a little unbelief, the rest of the Bible you will stumble over. Every word spoken, everything written, if you stumble over those opening words, you will stumble over the entire Bible. But on the other hand, if you fully grasp this statement, the rest of the Bible is no issue whatsoever to you. Because if you believe in the beginning God created. But if you do struggle with that, I want want you to consider the alternative. This is what we're going to talk about today. Because the alternative is this, that you simply what? Believe in evolution, right? If you don't believe in the beginning God created, then you obviously have to believe in evolution. I personally believe it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. And I'm going to give you some evidence on that today for those who teeter on the evolutionary line. Did you know this also? Cosmology is a science with no facts. I'm going to say that again. Cosmology is a science with no facts. A lot of theories, but no facts. I'm gonna read you the front page article from the Los Angeles Times. And this was written back in 1995, March 6. And the reason I'm gonna read this, is it was profound. And it was headlined with this headline, Rethinking Cosmic Questions. So I'm gonna read it to you. If you ever wanna read it, look it up online. Ever since people first stood up among the tall grasses and looked around the world and wondered, religion, mythology, and science have all struggled to explain how the world came to be. But when it comes to creation stories, few can hold a candle to the tale cooked up by modern cosmologists. See, dialing back the cosmic clock about 15 billion years, they depict a time before time, a place before space existed. Out of nothing and nowhere, all the energy and matter of the universe exploded into existence, an event that became called, as a joke, the Big Bang Theory. It's equally odd for theorists at times. This is what they said. I miss the old days when I could just work in my office and not worry about someone would try to disprove my theory. Said Rocky Coe of the National Accelerator Laboratory in Illinois. It's like being in Europe in the 15th century and knowing a, a continent is out there, but you don't know what. So you tell fancy stories about it. Then you learn that somebody's actually looking into what you said. Some of those doing the looking would like nothing better than to discover a fatal crack in my theory that would lead to a whole new view that way they could win a Nobel prize many of us have worked in the field for decades we still worry about this whole house of cards come crumbling down said Princeton cosmologist david wilkerson you also know they say the un- this makes no sense they say the universe is younger than the stars You guys don't listen to this, do you? They say the universe is younger than the stars. Wrap your head around that. The biggest mystery, however, strikes even scientists as so astounding as to be absurd. 99% of the universe, according according to estimates, is made of totally unfamiliar stuff, commonly known as dark matter. How many have heard that before? Okay? It is actually mostly transparent. It neither shines nor casts a shadow. Whatever it is, it's not like us. According to some theories, it's the glue that holds the universe together and keeps it from expanding forever into an endless space. And that's the portion of the article, and I don't know if you picked up on, we'll talk about some of that stuff. The bottom line is, things are constantly changing, okay? Just like you have probably read, how many of you remember reading a science book back, let's go to the people who are around me or a little older. You remember your science books back then? If you took your child's science book today and set it beside that science book, guess what? It's completely different. They don't match. And, and once we believe, basically what they say is once we believed, but now we believe, because now we believe, and it keeps happening. It keeps happening to the point where our, science, our books don't look the same. Well, one verse here in Genesis chapter 1, once again it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I think we should stop there for a moment and ask ourselves a question. And that question I want you to ask, how can we know that God created the heavens and the earth? How can we know that God created the heavens and the earth? Other than the fact that what it says in the Bible, let's go that way, other than what it says in the Bible, How can we know that God created the heavens and the earth? Interestingly, there has actually answers. And one of the things you look for is a simple word called order. Order. Order in the universe. Because here is what science has discovered. Order. Although they don't like to admit it, Order is a sign of intelligence. You get that? Order is a sign of intelligence. Now, of course, evolutionary theory wants you to believe that order actually came out of disorder. That's what they want you to believe. This is what they're piping into your schools. This is what they're piping into your head. That order was created from disorder. It came right out of disorder. I don't know about you, But if I take a bag of marbles and I throw them on the ground and they're disordered, I can tell you they're not going to put themselves back together and go in the bag. (laughs) They want you to believe that order comes from disorder. Now, of course, everything we know, everything we know, if you actually think about it, tells us the opposite of that. Everything. That if there is order in the universe then it must have come from order. Think of it this way. Evolutionists actually talk out of the side of both sides of their mouth. And I'm going to quote you some things they tell you. They will tell you, the uni- will tell you that the universe and all of its order sprang out of disorder and no intelligence. They'll say this. Your universe sprang out of disorder and no intelligence. But yet, out of the other side of their mouth... Those same evolutionists say, order means intelligence. That's what they say. So the universe sprang out of disorder and no intelligence, but yet they look at the universe and it's in order, and they say, well, order means intelligence. I don't know if you're aware of this also. Put a picture up for me, real quick. How many know this guy? Carl Sagan. Well, let's talk about it. Carl Sagan petitioned the federal government for a grant to search for life in the cosmos. And he decided that he was going to use this super sensitive instrument to pick up radio waves out of the cosmos. Guess what he was looking for? Anybody know? He was looking for something specific. LED. But he was <laughs> looking... By the way, I'll say this. You can pick up radio waves... We've been picking up radio waves out of the universe for years, forever, as far as we can ever imagine. But the static that they pick up had no pattern or organization to them whatsoever. And that has been happening for years and years, and it actually says nothing to any scientist. It's just noise. Okay? So Carl Sagan proposed, and this is a man who believes in evolution. What he proposes that is going to listen to the cosmos, which is a super sensitive instrument, and he is going to listen for, guess what? Order. He's going to listen because Mr. Sagan said order means intelligence. He's looking for intelligent life, right? They're searching for ET, right? What are they listening for? organization in the patterns that they're finding. They're looking for order because they say that order means intelligence. Hmm. Really? Then why don't you apply that to what you see around us? Right? Why don't we apply that to the human body? Why don't we apply it to the stars, the sun, the moon? Because if we if we see anything, loved ones, we see order. We actually see incredible order in the creation in the Bible. I mean, come on, think about it. You can set your watch to the rising and going down of the sun, you can sail a ship, if you know stars, without having a map. Why? Order. Everything is in perfect order. It's so orderly, the Farmer's Almanac will bring that up. The Farmer's Almanac can actually tell you when the sun's coming up and going down 10 months from now. Now, some of the other stuff they talk about never gets right, But there's sunrise and sunset, boy, on the money. How is that possible? Order. The universe has order. Now, Sagan says that if I go and listen for intelligence in the cosmos... I'm listening for order. This is from him. Patterns and frequencies that have order to them. Because I know when I hear that, I have found an intelligent thing. The whole idea of seeing God's intelligence is what Paul talked to us about. Do you remember, how many remember our Romans teaching? I know it was long. But I'm going to go all the way back to chapter one real quick. It says, for his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature Have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world In the things that have been made So they are without excuse God's divine nature His intelligence Is so easily recognizable That men are without excuse That's a powerful statement Basically, what it's saying is God's order and intelligence is so plain that you can't deny it. You and I don't have any trouble recognizing God's intelligence as I do. We don't have any trouble, right? But, once again, evolutionists want you to believe these things. Even though, remind you, it has never been proven. They want you to believe that order came out of disorder. And I don't care how many years you give it. That's not going to happen. Literally, that would be like saying a tornado went through a salvage yard, and if you give enough tornadoes, eventually it'll build a car. That's what you're saying. You're saying, that this tornado, if I have enough tornadoes, and they keep going through that same salvage yard, eventually they're going to put together a brand new car full of gas ready to drive. And people want to believe in evolution, but they don't want to understand what they're actually saying. I'm telling you. You know what? And that's even less complex than the human idol. But to put for a tornado to do that would be easier than to build a human idol. Now there's another major oh, have no there's another major question about the origin of life that is answered in the very first verse and it's bound up in the word created. and it's a question that modern science cannot find the answer for and that is remember I said matter, dark matter science doesn't don't know how matter came into being they don't, they can't answer it they have no idea, they don't know where it came from For you guys, if if you don't know what dark matter is, everything is made of matter. Everything. Everything everything around us, everything with us is made of matter. But biblical creationists and those who believe what the Bible says, we have an answer to that question. We believe that God was a creative force behind matter. Okay, It's very interesting that the word created here, and I want to talk about it, used in Genesis 1, is only ever used... this this Hebrew word is only ever used when God is the object of it. The word created here never applies to anything that man can create. Only what God can create. That specific Hebrew word, they would never say Dan created with that word. There's a whole other Hebrew word for that. That Hebrew word is only used to apply it to God. Because it speaks of that which was created from nothing. Not by nothing. From nothing. In other words, God created all the matter in the universe. And you know what? I don't care what you call it. You can call it the Big Bang if you want to. If that's what you want to call it, call it that. That's fine. But the truth of the matter is, all matter was created by God. Now, evolutionists refuse to believe that God created matter out of nothing. However, they refuse to believe that God created matter out of nothing, but they freely believe that it just appeared and it had no cause. That all of a sudden, there we are. Nothing ever happened, nothing caused it to happen. It just did. Have you ever, has anybody ever studied evolution? Have you, have you ever just, or do we just listen to it? Have you ever studied kids in school, younger guys? Have you ever studied evolution? There's nothing to study. That's why it's a bunch of theories. They have no facts. Cosmology has no facts. That's why I always say this: it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. It does, because the evolutionist has to believe that matter just appeared out of nowhere with no cause. They have to believe that in order to believe in evolution. That's hard. So I ask, which of these beliefs is greater? That that thing about evolution, it actually demands, and this is what we're going to get scientific, to believe in evolution, It actually demands that we actually do violate known scientific laws (coughs) to believe in evolution. We have to violate them. Evolution, which is believed to be a science, by the way, but it is not, actually violates science. And here's what I mean: scientific rules. I should have a slide for it. There they are. Ooh, you're a (laughs) ball. Scientific rules violated by evolution. These are actual scientific laws. They base everything off of. The first law is called the cause and effect or causality. How many's heard that word before? Okay. For every effect, there is a definite cause. Then what they're saying is when you have an effect, there has to be a cause that caused that effect. Except for this one exception. Except for this one evolution. We're, we'll exempt it from that. Even though we believe in this as scientist, this is what we base everything off of, evolutionists say, well, that doesn't matter. But to believe that God created it all? God is the cause. The universe is the effect. Think about it. Believing in creation actually doesn't violate the laws of known science. Secondly, the law of thermodynamics. How many of you have heard that before? Some people have. Basically what it means is, all matter is in a constant state of deterioration. I would say, in other words, things are breaking down. We see it all around us, right? Nothing gets better, it gets worse. I'll give you an example. If you have a car, and I don't care if you park it in your garage and you cover it up, and you leave it there for 40 years, I promise you it's going to break down. Parts are gonna fall off, it's gonna rust, things are gonna happen. That's the law of thermodynamics but evolution violates it because they want you to believe that matter sprung to existence with no cause billions of years ago. And if that was true, billions of years ago, by the law of thermodynamics, we would be gone. It would all be deteriorated away because the second law of thermodynamics is always in place. In everything we see. Think about it. Every piece of matter that we use, have, see is affected by the law of thermodynamics. So if this earth is billions of years old and we apply it to the law of thermodynamics, then we technically shouldn't be sitting here. The fact of the matter, the universe that we live in shows incredible intelligent design and it has such deep details in this design we're just now beginning to scratch the surface of these details. I just want, you know, and this is really what I wanted to open with on Genesis because we need to know this as we go into it. Do you know what, we we know more about what happens in a single cell now than we ever did. And I I got a lot of people in the medical field. And what we know about a single cell is this. If it were anything less than what it is, it could not exist. It couldn't function. A single cell, if it was anything less than what it is, it can't function. That completely blows evolution away. Because the premise of evolution is is that that starts off in a simpler form, right? and through some algae in the water and some light and some heat and some salt and some pepper it it grew it grew into this complex single cell but science today tells you if this cell was any different at all it could never function but once again we know from cells today that it cannot have evolved because it would not have functioned. How many know, how many have ever seen animals that, ever seen a thing about animals, the five evolution? We won't get into a lot of that today, but there's a few of them. My favorite's the woodpecker. Also, though, my other favorite is the bombardier beetle. How many know what that is? What does that, what does that beetle do? It literally shoots an explosive mixture out of these like little turrets and its, its behind. They are like white turrets because you can aim it wherever it wants. And it's a highly, highly volatile mixture that has two separate compartments inside the beetle. If one compartment did not function exactly as it's supposed to, the beetle would explode itself. So answer this. How would that evolve? Because if it would have been the first time and it was wrong, we'd have no beetles they blow themselves up. So it could not evolve. The woodpecker, how many know that its tongue goes into its mouth and wraps around its brain? An exact, perfect amount of times. If it would be one less, when the woodpecker hits the wood, it would destroy its brain. If it would be one more, it would crush its brain. How did that evolve? Think about it. The woodpecker was one less one day, boom, we have a bunch of dead woodpeckers, we don't have any woodpeckers in that then it evolves it too many times, squishing the brain, now we have no more the woodpeckers. There's many, many more we can talk about, but see, they don't, they don't talk about these things because they want you to believe the theory that everything came from nothing, that order came out of disorder, and that's just not possible. And I'm going to go on about that, but let's go to verse 2. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters kind of like there's matter there. There's water. It's matter and water. That's what it's talking about. Matter and water. Which God obviously created. But here it says it it lacked order. It lacked shape. It lacked dimension. That's what I want you to think about. When it says it it without form and void. No shape. No order. No dimension to it whatsoever. It's like this, this just a bunch of chaotic stuff. That's a good way to put it. Then verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. It's interesting to me that the very first step to go from chaos to order, listen, loved ones, the very first step to go from chaos to order is to shed light on it. What's fascinating to me is that principle is true here in the book of Genesis, and it's true when I clean my bedroom. (laughs) Think about it. That principle is true when we sit down with a couple and help them work on their marriage. If we're going to bring order out of chaos, we have to turn on a light. I promise you, if it's pitch black in here and I put these chairs all over the place and say, go make order with no light in here, these chairs will not look like this. So the principle that God lays out to take all of that chaos and bring it to order is to turn the light on it, To shine light on it. In Corinthians, we actually talk about this. Yep, yep. 2 Corinthians. Now, in their case, the God of this world you know who that is as Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 4-6, he actually talks about creation, referring to it. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how does God begin to bring order out of chaos? In our own spiritual understanding of this, how does he bring order out of our chaos? He shines the light of his presence in our lives. That first principle in Genesis applies all the way to the end of Scripture. To bring order out of chaos, God shines his light. Listen, loved ones, if you think about it, your life before Christ was completely chaotic. It was, And I don't mean not necessarily the things you were doing, but in the way that you thought about things. Think about it. How, the way your mind would respond and, and think about things that were going on was chaotic. You know, and when it comes to spiritual things at that time before you were a Christian, you were confused, right? Some of us, things were so confused and things were so chaotic in our thoughts... But for some reason, we went to church. And I don't know why any of you, I know some of your stories, but I don't know what brought you to church, but it wasn't your thought pattern. But something brought you to church, and God began to do a work, and when he pulled back the darkness and shined his light on you, you were like, bam, this makes sense. The Bible was no longer confusing. Do you, you ever think of that miracle right there? Before you were a Christian, you could read the Bible, it made no sense to you whatsoever. But then God shines a light of his presence on you, and and you're in Christ now, and you're a child of God, and you open the Bible, and it's completely different, and you never went to school for it. Wow. Genesis 1-3 said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, some, some people wonder where this light came from, because they assume we're talking about a sun here. But I'll tell you this, the sun's not created until the fourth day of creation. This ain't the sun, people. So where does this light come from? What's that? What's the Bible say God is? God is light. And we know from the book of Revelation that when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no sun. Why? The Bible says God will be the light. Genesis tells us that God calls for the light and that light begins to do something very powerful in the first step of bringing something from chaos to order. And you know what's interesting about light also? Did you know that when light hits matter, it animates it? That's from science. When light hits matter, It animates it. Everything. Everything that's made of matter is animated by light. And you think animate, you're like, oh, that's not what I mean. All right? It means it causes it to do something. Like it's this book, right? What does this book do so you can read it? It reflects, right? So you can read what it says. What does light do... Light can go straight through water, right? But it creates it so you can see the bubbles in the water. Everything that light, when light shines on matter, it animates it. So here we are at the very first step. And matter is sort of just a chaotic environment. So God does, as the very first thing, he turns the light on and he animates the matter. And then verse 4 says this. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. By the way, this is the first of many statements where God's going to talk about things being good in creation. We see this separation from darkness to light. And then it says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Yeah, I'm going to stop here, verse 5. We will pick up on verse 5 next week. We are going to talk about this because also this is a big controversial statement. People are always talking about, well, you know, it wasn't really seven days. God was just giving us an idea. It could have been 7,000 years. I'm going to show you biblically why it is actually seven 24-hour days that God created the heavens and the earth. But what I wanted you to get today before we even dive into the book of Genesis is I wanted you to understand how much it takes to believe evolution and how easy and no excuse it is to believe creation. We actually, you would actually have to have more faith to be an evolutionist than you have to have faith to be a Christian. Because everything evolution tells you makes no sense at all. Zero. And why why is evolution important? Why do, they want, why do they want the world to understand and believe evolution? I'll tell you why. We don't think about this either. Because if I believe in evolution and I believe everything's evolving, then I can approve and say everything that's happening is okay. I can say, and I'll say it. I can say all of this gender problems that we're having in the world where It's, I'm not a man, I'm a pan, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. And they're all like, it's okay, just love everybody. That's because if you believe the world is evolving, you believe that same statement. That's why they refuse to believe biblical creation, because it assigns order. And it assigns intelligence. And it says, I created it to be this way. You are without excuse. And the worship team, if you guys want to come up, are in here? You want to get it wrong? So, we're going to go deeper into Genesis. That was an opening. That was just a welcome to get us warmed up on Genesis. But uh, I'm excited to go through Genesis. Also, while we're going through Genesis, I want, if you have specific questions that have never been answered, questions you've always had and you didn't want to, you don't want to say them out loud in church or to anybody else, please, while we're going through Genesis, submit them to me. And we will directly, I will directly address these questions. Beloved the ones, I just want you to realize, God brought chaos, brought order out of chaos by shining his light on the world. He brought your life from chaos to order by shining his light in your life. So when we're struggling and when you're fearful and when you're questioning and when you're going through all of these problems every single day that we live in, just let God shine his light on you because he will take that chaos and bring order out of it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you so humbly, Lord. Father, we thank you for the book of Genesis, Lord, because you know what? Men so many times try to make excuses so we can live the lives we want to live, we can live things the way we want to live, and we can justify evil, Lord, because you say that's what's going to happen. But Lord, your Bible, your words, your creation declares your glory. It says we are without excuse, Lord. We cannot look into creation and not and just we can no longer deny the existence of you, Lord. I ask that as we move out of the world, that as we learn through Genesis and that we pick up knowledge from your word, Lord, that this knowledge we can use to show others the truth of your creation. Lord, I ask that everyone here today, I ask that you look over them and bless them, Father, and touch their hearts and, and lift them. And if they have chaos in their lives, I ask that you, you shine your light on them and bring, take that chaos and bring it to order. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.